I am Dan Wilton, the CEO of First Mining Gold. Uh, First Mining's a gold project developer with a suite and expanding suite of outstanding assets in Canada, particularly moving forward our 5 million ounce spring pool deposit and now our 5 million ounce Duparquet project in Quebec. Dan, uh, good, good to have you on. Uh, I know you previously announced it, but uh, are you mad? You're spending money in an environment like this. Why would you do that? Only because uh, these opportunities come around, you know, kind of once in a once in a career. You know, we uh, these are assets that we know. We've been 10% partners in these projects since 2016. Uh, I think the world has forgotten more about uh, what's happened here than they ever really knew. And we had an opportunity to consolidate five million ounces in the heart of the Abitibi Gold District at less than five dollars an ounce. So I think uh, history is going to look back kindly on us having uh, having taken the opportunity to do that. But more importantly, we have a team with some capacity and real capability and experience in moving exactly this type of project forward. So it's something else we can really sink our teeth into. Okay, so chance to consolidate in Abitibi, five million ounces. That's a nice number. Um, what's this thing again? It's, it's a little bit of old data, but let's, let's confirm the numbers before I get onto where I want to go with you. Right. So the transaction cost you what? Uh, in total, it was about ten million dollars cash and about fifteen million dollars worth of our shares. Right, and you're saying combined um, five dollars an ounce? Is that what you're going with? Yeah, basically wow. uh, a little bit less than that. So probably about five Canadian. Um, although you okay. have to kind of back out what we had already owned. So yeah, let's let's call it $5 an ounce. So even even at today when, you know, gold developers are trading at uh, at horrendously discounted values, this was still 40% accretive to our total resources. Um, you know, 40% accretive to our M&I resources, importantly, because this is a well-studied, well-drilled ore body, which are exactly the types of opportunities that we love. Right. So again, remind me how much drilling has happened on, on this asset? In total, from 2008 to 2014, 2015, 270,000 meters of drilling over about three and a half kilometers of strike length. So this is an enormous amount. When, when you think about the, the context of the fact that we've acquired these resources and uh, the surface rights around them, by the way, which is important, for you know less probably less than half of the replacement value of the drilling that's there it gives you a sense of you know what we really think the opportunity is here uh, and why this was very very compelling for us to move forward right so 270,000 meters is, is a lot of meters but i'm not in it for the meters i'm in it for the answers so what what do you know now and what are you going what do you feel that you're going to be able to do now to you know move this through one economic studies and to you know deliver you know meaningful answers into the market well i think that's you know number one uh, what we understand is there is a robust and well drilled you know 3.3 million indicated uh ounces uh, indicated resource so something that you can start today uh into looking at advanced economic studies this is a project that went to pfs in 2014 so, you know, we're not we're not starting with uh, airy fairy PEAs on sparsely drilled resources. We're starting with something that is very solid. And inside that, and where we get really excited about it, uh, we put out a resource update already. We actually announced it before we owned the, the rest of the deposit. But, you know, uh, it was something that we were excited to tell the world about. But inside that, as we went through the, the pit optimizations in the resource, 
you could see that there is a higher grade, lower strip kind of starter pit here, which I think, you know, when you look at the resource, when you look at the location, uh, there's going to be a very, we believe, a very compelling economic case for a, you know, call it million to million and a half ounce starter pit inside this resource. Right. Okay. So you're going to be working out how, how you come at this. What I'm trying to work out is when the market gives you recognition for what is quite a contrarian move. Okay. Most people are terrified of making any kind of decisions in this in this market. Yeah. Um, so you you thought now's the right time, but when do you actually get the credit for that? When do you get that value attributed to your share price, to your decision, to to anything? associated with this? <laughs> well, if, if we could have any certainty of when we get value for things, you know, we'd be uh, we'd be in a much more comfortable world than the one that we live in, right? Listen, we've got, you know, 5 million ounces at Spring Pool and advanced stages of a feasibility study and, you know, a draft environmental assessment published. And we don't get a lot of value for that. Um, I think this one, one, when we can present that economic opportunity, uh, when we can define something that I think is going to be a manageable capital, potentially starting smaller with some expansion potential in this, you know, what is one of the best areas in the world to develop mines. Um, you know, I think that's when people will start hopefully giving us a bit of a, a sense of credit for this. So, you know, it's tough to say, but that uh, economic study, you know, the, the resources are there. We've already put out an updated resource. I think the more that we can we can uh, talk about this as a robust project going forward, the better. So, it's our goal that we'll have an economic advanced economic study out on this uh, within the next twelve months, and hopefully sooner than that. Right, and how is cash at the moment? Uh, cash, you know, a lot of it went out the door to secure this asset. So, you know, we think of cash as kind of cash and the marketable securities and the project interest that we have. I mean, you will remember, it's been a pretty busy last couple of years as we've brought partners into our projects. So, uh, you know, uh, Ateco Minerals and Pickle Crow, we brought in Big Ridge Gold on Hope Brook. Uh, we still own 15% of Treasury Metals. And we've got our royalty portfolio as well, which we've cobbled together as we've uh, as we've found partners for a lot of those portfolio assets. So combined, all of those things, we think have a value of 70 or 80 million dollars. Now, it's a terrible time to be selling. But as we say, the only the only thing worse than having to sell some of these projects or some of the other shareholdings that we have would be having to take big dilution ourselves. So we're working on a number of plans to advance this uh, and make sure that we continue well-funded and um, you know have the capability to kind of get spring pull through its main milestones, but importantly, get this uh, A, environmental study work started at Duparquet so we can establish a real baseline of what's there and B, get an economic study, uh, development study put together that I think outlines um, where we really see the future of this project going. Well, th that's the key bit, because you need to help investors understand what the future of this business is. Because, because I talked, I used the word contrarian a second ago. There's, there's nothing more infuriating to me than in a buoyant market, people looking at contrarian investors going, that man is awesome. That, that company is awesome. They've got a 10 times, 20 times return through their contrarian investing. 
I want to be like them. When the moment comes, now, 2020, March 2020, people run for the hills. They're terrified, right? So um, you've got to, if you've got any chance of persuading people to become contrarian investors and invest in you, you've got to say, look, we are building a portfolio. We, we are not looking to offload that. We'll be giving away too much value. Look, we are, um, we've, we have got um, different types of um, products and projects in here with our the royalties, we've got exploration component, you've got the development component. We don't want to give that away either, and we don't want to go and dilute ourselves by raising equity in the market. So how do you do that? You're Say you're exploring different ways of doing that. How do you do non-dilutive financing to get these projects to have a chance of capturing some of that value you think is there? Yeah, well, listen, I think uh, you start with the things that are likely the most liquid on the balance sheet. And for us, uh, you know, that probably starts with a royalty portfolio. Um, and it starts with the fact that we are acquiring these ounces in Quebec with no royalties on them, which gives us some flexibility to potentially use that as an avenue to raise some of the capital. And again, you know, the other the other elements uh, that we have still in the strategic investments, you know, it's a terrible time to be selling anything in this sector. But at some point, you know, you might just have to make some uh, some difficult choices about selling some of the things that are still holding, you know, 40 or $50 an ounce value versus potentially selling first mining shares that are trading at nine or $10 an ounce value, right? Like you just have to be pragmatic about it. And that is a part of being a contrarian is sometimes, you know, you don't look just at the acquisition price or the dilution we've taken to acquire these projects. And I use the word dilution lightly because I think when you acquire something that's 40% accretive to your resources and you issue a few shares, it's tough to call that dilution. But, you know, net net, if there were any additional share issuance, you kind of look at it in balance in terms of, you know, that plus some of the, the capital that you've raised to move it forward. Um, with a net shares outstanding, has that been accretive? And we're very confident we're going to be looking back a year from now. Uh, and when this sector turns, and it will, uh, when the strategic market comes back into play in the gold sector, which it will, because there haven't been the projects developed that people need, because you are right now seeing record differences between valuation multiples of producers and developers. When all of that reverts to the mean, both you know absolute valuation levels and relative valuation levels, I think we're gonna look back and been very happy to have been able to have consolidated what we think is a globally significant resource at this time when we did. Yeah, it, it, it seems like a very good fit for you. Um, did you need to, though, do it now? Were you under some pressure to pick the, do this now? Because that's a bit of cash that's gone out the door, right? Yeah. Um, I know there's a share component to it too, but was, in terms of the negotiations, did they need cash? Was that the problem? Did it need to be now? Could you have waited six months? What do, that, what do the discussions look like? Yeah, I mean, this these are, you know, this is this is an overnight success that has been six years in the making, right? These are partners that we have been working with that I've been working with for three and a half years uh, plus. And um, they're, you know, these discussions have been ongoing for a long time. And at some point, uh, if you're going to bring these things to a conclusion, um, you do need to put forward the deal that's that that's going to get it done um would this have still been there in a more buoyant market at the value that we that we were able to agree on 
Uh, no, I don't think it would be. I think this is, you know, this is a pretty prized piece of property. It's a huge resource in the middle of one of the best endowed gold camps in the world. So um, could we have waited? Potentially, but you know, again, I think when you think about the downside risk here of having acquired at, you know, approximately $5 an ounce, a globally significant resource in the middle of the greatest gold camp in the world, um, you know, we think that there's a lot more upside at this point than downside. So yeah, you always have to weigh off what the alternatives are, but we're very happy of having, having closed this and now being able to move this project forward. Well, I, I, th I guess at least you've got it. It may not have been there if you if you if you haven't wanted to try the wait and see um, route. Um, there's, there's always that. Um, it's yeah. It's because I'm I'm always intrigued by the perception of the cost, relative cost today versus what you've been talking about in here, which is the potential upside that and, the, and that kind of delta between between the, the, those two numbers is you know it will it be seen in the future as being the best allocation of, of capital, best return on capital uh, for, for you. Yeah. Um, you're saying yes, obviously. Well, yeah, make... obviously we're going to say yes. But, you know, as, as we think about this, uh, as I've been a corporate finance guy for 20 years. I've been a you know private equity investor for five. Um, when you look at this in a historical context of where these types of projects should trade when they have an economic study and moving forward that typically has been you know 50 to 100 dollars an ounce you get it to a feasibility study or a, you know ability to make a construction decision and that should be 100 to 200 dollars a reserve ounce right or more depending on the strategic you know strategic positioning of the project and where it is so yeah do do i think that this is a kind of project today that could have 20 times upside from where we acquired it? Absolutely. I think you just look at the historical multiples. You look at, you know, and this is this is not far-fetched. Look at many of the projects that are being built in and around the Abitibi right now. They're acquired at values of, you know, five and six hundred million dollars pre-construction. I think that's this the, our, our goal is to be able to demonstrate with this project that uh, you can unlock that kind of value as you move it forward. And then on top of that, let us not forget that we have a five million ounce project in Ontario, a uh, hundred kilometers from Red Lake that has, is advancing through the environmental assessment process, has a lot of that fundamental work done, and uh, equally, you know, sitting with that same kind of return potential. And I, I, I get, are there any kind of um, crossovers in terms of the skill sets required to kind of again unleash the potential? Um, of, of both assets. I mean, how, how, what are the similarities? Uh, you know, the, the real similarities are it takes uh, some expertise in scoping a project. So how are you going to think about decide, de uh, defining the project, designing the project? Uh, but importantly for us and the things that First Mining Gold can do to take risk out of these projects, it's critical that you can move them down an environmental assessment process in Canada. Just every every path, every step that you take down that path of de-risking the project, getting it closer to a, an operating permit, adds value to the project. And so one of the things that was really interesting about Duparquet from our perspective is that our uh, environment and community relations team basically spent 
six and a half years taking the Hard Rock project, which is right now, uh, you know, about halfway through construction, taking that from scoping study to construction permits uh, in kind of 2014 to 2020. And when they looked at Duparquet, uh, they were very intrigued by the similarities between Hard Rock and Duparquet as past producing sites, some environmental legacy and a development plan that ultimately encompasses both the environmental, you know, dealing with that environmental legacy, but doing so in a way that brings economic growth and brings development to an area that, you know, has a rich, long mining history. I mean, this the town of Duparquet was built beside the old mine in the 1930s. So, um, you know, I think there's still a lot of work to do in terms of scoping the project. There's still a lot to understand. But I think we have a team that has a demonstrated track record and capability of uh, successfully advancing these projects at a large scale. And then ultimately that project, you know, as we talk about the values of these things, that project was sold for 600 million U.S. last year. Right. So, again, very similar uh, types of situations that we think, you know, both at Spring Pool and at Duparquet that our team's going to be able to move forward, de-risk, and get into the position where we can, you know, potentially realize similar kind of upside. Okay, uh, last question. Sent in. I like to name people these days. So stealth header. S T H L header. However you pronounce that. Uh, how far along are they with legacy arsenic removal, please? Uh, with whom? Sorry. Oh no! It's just it's someone on one of the chat rooms. That's okay. their name, saying how far. Oh, are we how far are we you, on, on Dan Wilton on studying legacy arsenic. arsenic removal? Yeah. So you know, the first thing that I would say is you know we've been a partner in these projects for a long time. Uh, you know, since 2016, um, we have a very good understanding. We think of. Uh, of the current environmental state. And we have been advancing uh, some studies on alternatives to deal with the arsenic trioxide roaster dust that's stored on site. So, you know, I think we, uh, we need to scope out a short-term program and then a longer-term program. So until we got the hands on the projects, it's a little bit difficult for us to uh, really be able to advance that work. But now that we are the owners of these projects, um, we can take some of that work, which has been done in a in a bit of a conceptual uh, stance, and move that into something more practical. But first and foremost, the important thing is really establishing and understanding that environmental baseline. And so from there, you know, you then scope out other alternatives to work with that. And at the same time. Um, uh, you know, as, as you said before, the really important part here is how does that environmental remediation integrate into a development plan? Because all of the infrastructure that's needed for the scale of environmental remediation that, that likely will need to happen here is the same infrastructure you need for a mine, fundamentally. So I think there is a great opportunity to make sure that we are listening to particularly the municipality and the residents in the town at Duparquet and listening to and working with the Ministry of the Environment and the Ministry of Mines uh, in Quebec 
um, to work together on what is a bigger a bigger solution here. So we've studied uh, at a high level, studied a number of different opportunities for working with the legacy uh, arsenic there. And I think it's now just when you have that environmental baseline, scoping out exactly what those look like going forward, both short term and long term. Right. Okay. Well, look, um, I wanted to talk about the acquisition. We've done that. I've asked that question. Um, I guess you'll give guidance as, as when you kind of get stuck into it properly. Um, thanks for coming on. Let us know how this goes. I'm so intrigued as to how the market reacts to this. I enjoyed the conversation about contrarian investing from investors, but also from companies. You know, you've done something here, which perhaps I think others are a little bit nervous about in terms of making any kind of decision in, in, in this market. It's terrifying um, companies as well as uh, regular investors. So I appreciate your time, Dan. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on, okay? A pleasure as always.